Welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. Good morning. This is the third week of our sermon series entitled 2020 Vision, where we're going over the four areas of focus for Wesley Memorial. The first week was a focus on discipleship and small groups and the importance of getting small in our faith. And then out of that, uh, as we grow in depth with God, we can grow in breadth out of getting close and small with God into Sunday school classes or small group opportunities. Then last week, we heard about God's vision for worship and uh, that when we exalt God above everything else, we can find our lives and to see the value of worship is not just something that happens on Sunday, but it happens Monday to Sunday in the heart of the believer. And then today is God's vision for prayer. And when I hear the idea of prayer, it's a very broad general topic for a sermon. So I'm going to give you an acronym, where the first letter of each word will spell the word pray. The first is pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And we'll see how those four words line up quite well with what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, when I was a little boy in the church of my youth, and I would sit in church, the pastor, who was a wonderful man, and, but he would pray extremely long prayers. And there would be long pauses between the words. So long that I would open my eyes and look around and wonder, are we finished? And I would be squirming in my pew, wondering, doesn't this man own a watch? Doesn't he know it's almost time for lunch? Sometimes I may drift off to sleep. I'm sure the content of the prayers was great. But the point remains, whether we're old or we're young, prayer can be difficult. It can be initially hard. Because, for example, prayer is really harder than preaching. I've never fallen asleep while giving a sermon. Now, we've certainly fallen asleep while listening to sermons. But I've never fallen asleep while preaching. Because prayer isn't always easy. The night before Jesus was crucified, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays late into the night, and he tells his disciples to go with him and pray with him. And what do the disciples do? They fall asleep. And he says to them, So you could not stay awake with me one hour. Stay awake and pray, that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that is so true. Our spirits are willing to pray at times, but our flesh sometimes falls short. We need Jesus to teach us how to pray because prayer is not initially easy. I've always said that people are born into the world with a bit of spiritual amnesia. We have to learn the value of worship. We have to learn the value of small groups. We even have to learn the value and the importance of prayer. Just because it feels awkward at first doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's sort of like, have you ever been to a rehearsal dinner or a social function where you sat at a table with 
uh, people you didn't know, and you have this sort of awkward conversation around the table, and you sort of get to know each other. And then as the time goes on, you open up more, and it gets more conversational. You feel more comfortable. And prayer, especially for young Christians, can feel sort of like that. That at first it may feel strange, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong. There's a time and a place to listen. And it takes time and more prayer to get used to prayer sometimes. Because when I've prayed with people who really know how to pray, you know who I'm talking about, people that just really pray in the Spirit. They don't pray in circles. They don't worry about saying the wrong or the right thing. They pray from their heart. And they don't fall asleep. But how do they do that? For one, it's inspiring to be around somebody that prays like that. It takes time. It takes effort. But it also takes love. Simple, abiding love for God. Just loving being with Him. But prayer doesn't always come easy. At first, it can feel like you're a helicopter pilot jumping in the cockpit with never taking a lesson. What do all these switches do? I don't know how to do this. But after time goes and you get the lessons and you eventually learn how to fly, the more you're around prayer, the more you want to pray. It's like developing a good habit. We need to develop the habit of prayer because God changes the world through our prayers. Do you believe that? John Wesley believed that. He taught that. That our prayers change the world. There's really two types of prayers. Some pray to God like he's your boss. Maybe you do it to get control. Maybe just sort of transactional prayer to God. But there's really no private prayer life. There's really no adoration in that kind of prayer. It's kind of a one-way street. Or you can pray really as Jesus prayed. Out of the parent-child relationship, as a response to grace and love, a two-way street. The former college football player and now uh, retired, Tim Tebow, if you've heard of Tim Tebow, he famously prayed on the sidelines of all of his games for many years. He was kneeling, he was praying all the time, and he got criticized for it repeatedly. One time a reporter asked Tim Tebow, why do you pray all the time? And he said, imagine if I left the house in the morning without kissing my mother goodbye. What would that do to that relationship? He said, that's why I pray every day. That's why I pray all the time. Because it acknowledges the most fundamental relationship I have. Prayer acknowledges the most vital part of who you are as a Christian. So in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus teaches about prayer, he gives us some very detailed instructions about prayer. Something that we call the Lord's Prayer, but it also could be called the Disciples' Prayer. It's on page 5 of your pew Bible, if you'd like to read along. Page 5 in the New Testament. Matthew 6, 5, verse 5. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. 
And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's other accounts of this prayer story. Luke chapter 11, Luke gives a bit of context Before Jesus teaches on what we call the Lord's Prayer, there is a scene where Jesus is praying. And the disciples, of course, are nearby, and they're listening to his prayer. And after Jesus has finished praying, they come to Jesus, and they say to him, will you teach us how to pray? Because how you're doing it, that's not how we do it. The way you're talking to God, I've never heard anybody talk to God in that way before. Will you help us? The disciples get it right this time. They ask a question born out of their own inadequacy, out of humility. And the Lord graciously provides the answer. Now, the Lord's prayer is so familiar that we can even sometimes not not even recognize it. It may be the most said phrases in the history of the world. And yet within Jesus' model of prayer, you can find four words that encapsulate and help guide our prayer lives. They don't have to be set in order all the time, but it gives you a guide. And they are pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. The first is just pause. Before we pray sometimes, it's good just to stop and breathe. It's a loud world, isn't it? Just to stop and breathe and recenter our scattered senses on the presence of God. And then he starts his prayer by saying, Our Father. Well, that's a pause moment right there. Because the, he's saying the Father in heaven is the focus of your prayers. And it lays a foundation of what you know about God. He starts it with a personal term. He doesn't say, Our Creator our most high potentate. He says, Father. And it was shocking to them to hear that. And it's shocking even now to hear Jesus refer to God as Father. Father is an indirect admission that you are therefore a child of God. If you belong to Jesus, you automatically receive Jesus' status as a child of God. And then Jesus says, Who art in heaven? That's a pause moment as well. If we could see what happens when we pray, I believe this, we would never cease to pray. If for five seconds we could see what happens when we pray prayers, we would never cease to pray. That there is so much going on in the spiritual world. As Paul said, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against powers and principalities of evil. And when we fight them, we fight them in prayer. 
Even in Revelation 8.4, says that the prayers of the saints, they rise before God's throne as an incense in His presence. They are sweet to God, your prayers. Prayer acknowledges that there is a world outside of this world. A world that we cannot see. A spiritual world that can directly affect this world that we can see. Isn't that incredible? How many of you have had answered prayers in your life? I mean, think about it. The spiritual world impacts our physical world. See, we all have points of view on a linear timeline. God has view. Here's what I mean. Who's ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? The first 20 minutes of that movie are incredible. Steven Spielberg said, I wanted to make the viewer feel like they were in the boats. And they were so intense, those scenes, that veterans of World War II had to leave the theater because it was so real. And when they interviewed men who actually survived D-Day, they would later go on to say, I thought we were going to lose the war because everyone was dying all around me. The Germans had the high ground. But then when they interviewed men who were in pilots above the whole scene and they could see the movement of the troops breaking through lines, all of the, the ships that were coming behind the initial invasion, those men in those planes said, I knew we were going to win. We have points of view. God sees the whole picture. God has view. See, when we pause before God in prayer, remember that He sees it all. He has view. And that things on earth don't have to stay the way they are. The impossible can be made possible. And if you hear me say those words, you could be thinking, well, it sounds like you believe in the miraculous. And my answer would be yes. We believe in a Savior that was born of a virgin. We believe in a God who raises people from the dead, who heals the sick to this very day. So yes, we believe in the miraculous. Because if we could see what happens when we pray, we would never cease to pray. It is a mysterious and wondrous thing that God has equipped us with, even as sinners, the ability to pray directly to Him, young and old, religious or irreligious. We can pray to God and He hears our prayers. This is also even a reason to rejoice. So after we pause, we can rejoice. Because Jesus' next words are, Hallowed be thy name, or holy be thy name. This is a phrase of worship, of adoration. And he's essentially saying, whether you pray that or not, God, God's name is holy. He's, he's set apart. And you get the opportunity to join in with the chorus of heaven that even now, in this very moment, is saying to the king on the throne, holy is your name. Hallowed be thy name. We have to pray and pause and rejoice his presence and just gaze upon him. Just like Jeff said last week with Jaxie, the wonder dog, would sit and gaze upon his owner 
We can do the same with God. Expressing thankfulness is a form of rejoicing. Just to pause and rejoice and reflect. Then we get to the part we really like. Ask. Right? We like the asking. And sometimes in life, we're in moments where we have to jump right to the ask. We don't have time to pause and to reflect. And there are situations in life where God hears those prayers too. We don't have to follow this literal order every time. But when we ask, he's saying, ask in a way that maybe you don't expect. Don't make your prayers be like, hi, my name is Jimmy. Here's what I want you to give me, God. Because God knows what you need even before you ask him. You don't need to inform him. He already knows. The very hairs on your head are numbered in mine. Mother Teresa, that beautiful soul, has an incredible quote where she literally just said, prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition and listening to his voice in the depth of our hearts. Just just abiding with him. Just being with God. Loving him. And then out of that may come the ask. But it's not a first priority of a two-way relationship with God. Instead of asking for what we want, Jesus says, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a Christ-like prayer. God, not, not my will. Let thy will be done. God, I want your name above my name. Even if I don't get what I asked for, I want your name to be glorified in my prayer. I'm thankful that thy will be done comes before give us this day our daily bread. Now why is that? Many times in my life, I'm glad that God's will got done before Clark's will. Even though I was upset with God initially, I didn't get my way. It didn't make work out the way I anticipated, but I'm glad God's will got done. I'm going to quote you one of my favorite theologians, Garth Brooks, the country singer. He's got a song called Unanswered Prayers. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs, just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Because some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. If you're like me, I'm singing that in my head while I'm reading it, but I'm not going to sing it to you right now. I like that song because he's not saying don't pray. He's just saying sometimes the answer is not what you expected to happen. I think when God hears our prayers, he, he has to think, nah, that's not a very good idea. But don't worry. My will is going to get done. That's why we ask for God's will to be done. But don't take this as a discouragement to never ask. Because in the context of Jesus' teachings, he clearly, repeatedly says, ask, seek, knock, wake up the owner of the home in the middle of the night with your request, but do so while abiding in his love. Just simply enjoying God for who God is. And then maybe out of that will come the asking. 
Jesus said in John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Let the ask be born out of abiding with him. Because we do need to ask. We do need to pray for our schools and our spouses and our children and our jobs. We need to be praying for everything all the time. Constant prayer. See, the church today, we don't have a content problem. We have great content. But maybe we have a bit of a communication problem. Maybe we don't see miracles as in the Bible because we're not expecting to see them. Maybe we should. Maybe we should believe God in prayer for more than we are. Then the last is yield. Now, if you're like me, yielding is difficult because we're all pretty much, uh, hopefully, recovering controlaholics. I once heard about an old United Methodist church way out in the country that had one of those knobs on the wall that controlled the heat. And people would get up in the middle of the service and they'd adjust the heat. Well, then it came time for them to get a new heating system put into the church. But they never told the congregation that the knob didn't do anything anymore. And people would just get up and adjust the heat whenever they wanted to. But it didn't do anything. We really like to be in control. We do. But Jesus teaches in a yielding way to pray, God, your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Not my will. I yield. If your kingdom is coming, my kingdom has to go. And when we yield to God's power, we say to God, forgive me of my sin. See, only God can forgive sin. When people say to you, just forgive yourself, you can't do that. Ultimately, only Jesus forgives sin. And that's a powerful prayer. Lord, forgive me of my trespasses. You're yielding to God's power and saying, forgive me. And then there's a second part that's also yielding, where you're saying, God, forgive those who have trespassed against me. Oh, now we're getting in some sticky stuff. God, forgive those who have wounded me who have caused pain. That's hard. That's not natural in our human nature to do that on our own ability. We need to yield to God's power to be able to show grace to those in the same way that God has shown it to us. And maybe one way to do that is not just say, God, forgive me of my sin, but God, I choose to forsake my sin and walk away from it. Here's what I mean. I was working at a church in Charlotte many years ago, and a young couple came to me for some emergency counseling. One of the spouses had been unfaithful to the other. And of course, it was a devastating situation. But the one who had committed the error, they weren't really sorry about the sin itself. Their apology sounded sort of like, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. They weren't sorry about the consequence They were sorry about the sin, but not the consequence of the sin. And I had to tell this person, self-pity, that's not repentance. Just admitting sin is not enough. Forsake it. God, give me the strength to walk away from it. And when we yield to God in prayer, we're not just saying, 
Forgive me of my sin, but give me the strength to walk away. See, when God forgives you of your sin, it won't change the past. The past is over, but it will change your future. And it will change how you impact and bless other people by receiving that grace for yourself. You are then able maybe to say, God, because of how you loved me, I think maybe, maybe I can forgive those who have trespassed against me. Because I yielded to your power in my life. And then he says, lead me not into temptation. See, temptation is not a sin. Jesus was tempted, and he did not sin. Temptation, the knocking of it at your door of your heart, it's merely a distraction away from God's best in your life. Being tempted, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that the enemy sees that God is doing something in your life and he comes along to push you off on a different path with a temptation that would withhold God's blessing from you. And so Jesus is saying, lead me not into temptation. He's saying that there is hope in those moments. There is a trap door out of the temptation. When we yield to God's power, he's saying, I will help deliver you from the evil one or deliver you from evil and when we battle those things in prayer, God's eternal resources will not only withstand evil and temptation in your life, they will defeat it. The impossible is possible when we pray. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? It's about a, not much larger than a grain of sand. And then he ends his teaching on prayer with yielding worship. To you be the glory and the honor forever and ever. I'm going to close us in prayer, but I'm going to leave a little space in my prayer to maybe us as disciples to pray and say, Lord, will you teach me how to pray? Whether we're young or we're old, maybe we've prayed a lot, we've never prayed much before, we all have room to grow, amen? We all need to grow in prayer. And that's a great prayer. God, just teach me how to pray. There's moments in your life where you're, you're not even going to know what to pray. But the Spirit will speak through you with utterances deeper than words. God knows your heart. He knows your life. He knows your situation. And He will give you what you need to help you pray. Let us pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you would teach us how to pray. Lord, we thank you that your words lead us on how to pray, to pause, to rejoice, to ask, to yield. And your word says that we can come boldly before your throne with our, our intercessions, with our prayers. And I pray for anyone here today that feels like they're at the end of their rope. They felt like the prayers they prayed never got answered. God, I pray that they would see and know that whether on this side of heaven or the next, the prayers will be answered. 
that they rise before you as an incense, that you are near to your people, you hear the cries of our heart, our joy and our sorrow, our peaks and our valleys. You are the God of, of it all. You have view. So God, help us pray. Help us be a praying people to see the value that when we pray, you move and you act and you change the world and you're waiting. As your word says in 2 Chronicles, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, I will hear their prayers from heaven and come down and heal their land. God, I think there's someone here today that needs to be healed. They have a wound that only you can touch. I pray that we would come willingly into your light and know that you will receive us as a son or a daughter, that we don't have to think that we're not as we should be because if we're honest, none of us are as we should be. You forgive our sin. You show us your grace. Teach us to pray, God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.